In today's episode of Get Savvy, we'll deep dive into the topic of impact investments and learn how you can transform your business to meet future demand in a business climate that is influenced by climate action and ESG. To answer these questions, we've invited venture capitalists Agathe Freyman and Tove Larsson, both partners and VCs at the Stockholm-based Norsken. This risk capitalist fund invests in impact startups that aim to make the world a better place. The fund, along with the co-working space Norsken House, is part of the non-profit organization Norsken Foundation, which supports entrepreneurs daring to tackle society's biggest challenges of the globe. Agathe Freeman joined Norsken when the Founders Fund was just established back in 2017, and she has a strong background within investments from the tech industry, as well as investment banking at Morgan Stanley and Citigroup. Tove Larsson has also been part of the Norsken VC Fund from the get-go. Tove has a background within management consulting at Bain Company, as well as from the social entrepreneurship accelerator Inkludera Invest. Hello and welcome Agathe and Tove. We are very uh, happy to have you both in the Get Savvy podcast. Thank you for having and us. And here where we try to share business savviness to all of our listeners who want to grow their businesses or just uh, take interest in the startup scene in general. Um, in uh, 2019, you announced a new impact fund for early stage startups uh, in Europe and uh, you're looking for a 100 million euro uh, funding. Uh, could you tell us about uh, Norsken and your work with uh, this fund and what you do, what you do all day? <laughs> so, so Norsken has been around now. We're now in our fourth year. Uh, it was founded by Niklas Adelbert, who is one of the co-founders of Klarna. Uh, and uh, he, he was thinking a lot about how he can use the capital that he gained through that journey and also his experience as an entrepreneur and especially within tech to help make the world a better place. And the result of that is, is Norskin Foundation. Um, you could say that Norskin Foundation consists of three different parts. Um, one is that we have an impact tech hub in Spårvagnshallarna in Stockholm, where we host close to 400 entrepreneurs, uh, all of them uh, tackling different uh, societal or uh, environmental uh, challenges. Um, we also have a lot of focus on sort of driving attention to this new kind of entrepreneurship, impact entrepreneurship. So that's our second part. And we also have a fund, uh, Norsken VC, that we will talk a lot about today, I think. Yeah, and I can give just a little bit of history about the fund. So the first fund uh, at Norkren was started now three years ago. And that was thanks to uh, really brave investors who took a, took a bold bet on proving that impact, uh, that you can really create a lot of impact through startups. And our first investors were impact, uh, were tech um, tech unicorn founders, the founders of Mojang, Minecraft, King, and Daniel Wellington. And when we started off, we had a quite a blank slate. What we really wanted to see, what we really wanted to do is to maximize impact through startups and technology. And we started off by saying that we will invest across the spectrum, non-profit, profit, somewhere in the middle. But as we started the fund operations and as we started to invest, we very, very quickly 
realize that the biggest opportunity sits where impact and profits go hand in hand. And the reason for that is that that space attracts the best, most ambitious entrepreneurs. It attracts more capital, which again enables these companies to grow fast, scale fast and roll out their operations, but at the same time also roll out the impact. Do you see yourselves as an as an activist or would you say that you would more kind of following a trail of uh, demand so you see like this is where demand is coming so this is where we want to be uh, i would definitely put us in the activist category i mean impact is at the very core of our dna it's why we do what we do and we've really re- we've really asked ourselves the questions how do we maximize impact in the world and we think that our skills experience and resources are best applied by investing in the impact tech space and we really wouldn't do this without the the impact angle that that's the most paramount but it just so happens that we see that impact can also be a fantastic financial opportunity where the two are not really mutually exclusive the two are mutually mutually reinforcing and hence that evolved into the strategy where we invest in impact as a business mm. we definitely agree Thanks. and maybe maybe just to add to that i mean this, the whole Norskin uh, sort of starts from our strong belief in that entrepreneurship and tech are two of the most important uh, pieces of the puzzle to address uh, the global challenges that we see around us. So that's really where it all starts, uh, that strong belief in these entrepreneurs. You're also active in what you call the Norskin uh, Initiative Action Against Corona. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about this and what you're doing? Uh, absolutely. As of the time of recording this, this initiative was launched uh, less than two weeks ago. And what it is, it's really a call for action to everyone, to startups, organizations or projects addressing the challenges of coronavirus, as well as on the other side, investors, philanthropists, partners or volunteers who can really help to accelerate these solutions. So it's really a platform of bringing all sides together, the solutions and those who can help to accelerate these solutions. And the response so far has been phenomenal. I think the silver lining of times like this is that that it really brings out the best in people. We have been overwhelmed by the response in Sweden and globally from supporters, partners, investors, but of course also the startups uh, and initiatives. As Again, as as of the time of recording this, we've received more than 500 applications uh, from startups and solutions, uh, uh, startups or initiatives that are working on, on some kind of solutions and are actively working on, on finding ways to, to help them achieve their goals and helping to, in some or, or another way, relieve the challenges of coronavirus. And could you give some examples? I mean, what have you come across now in this work so far? The spectrum is extremely broad. Uh, scientists uh, around the world are working on different solutions on how to make testing much more efficient, cheaper and easier to scale. Uh, startups working on tackling information or more importantly, the, uh, uh, fake news to make sure that the right information uh, is uh, is accessible. Um, it, it, it's really incredible to to organizing local communities to help elderly or help the help the medical staff uh, to do their jobs better. So it's incredibly to see the scope of the different initiatives out there. 
And would you say that there are resemblances to kind of what you what you normally do, and and I mean impact investment and the, and the companies that you have invested in earlier, and they all have a larger purpose, uh, which I think is is uh, something that you could say about this initiative too, right? So, do you, do you see similarities in your approach? Uh, this yes yeah, so from the funds perspective i mean our investment criteria remains the same uh, we're still looking for for impact businesses uh, but with also the the strong uh, financial uh, aspect uh, so we're not compromising on that but what we're doing is that we are really fast tracking and prioritizing all the great solutions that we see out there that uh, matches those criteria but that also uh, addresses the corona situation What type of trends do you guys follow when you do uh, investments normally and how do you stay like ahead of the curve? So basically I, I can uh, start to say that sort of um, what, how, how we've set up our investment strategy is that we, uh, the, the, the first and foremost criteria, instead of looking at specific verticals or, or sectors within impact, uh, we always start with, with the team and entrepreneur because that's so important at this very early stage where we invest. Uh, so we want to back the best entrepreneurs and teams out there, providing the best solutions to the specific challenge uh, that they have chosen to, to address, basically. Um, so from that perspective, we're doing like a, a bottom-up approach. Um, as the market matures, we, we strongly believe that we will be able to to work more from the top-down perspective, like targeting certain trends and, and sort of see what which is the best company to invest in in this specific area. But from now, uh, or from the beginning and for now, we're doing it a little bit more uh, bottom-up. At the same time, of course, we, we do see uh, significant trends that we, are, that we are looking at for potential investments, but the team is, is super crucial here. One of our previous guests claimed that all startups are impact entrepreneurs in a way, and that there is like really no reason to separate them. I mean, what would your response be to that based on what you just said? So I think, I mean, in a way, uh, all entrepreneurs are problem solvers. That's uh, the whole like definition of entrepreneurship. Um, and I can also agree that, you know, uh, entrepreneurs in any shape or form uh, creates a lot of value in terms of creating job opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the way we have chosen to uh, define impact entrepreneurs is uh, that it's uh, an entrepreneur driving a business where sort of the core operations of a business creates a significant and measurable and intentional uh, positive impact on either people or planet. So I guess it's all about how you define, uh, but we have a, li- a little yeah. bit more uh, narrow approach than, than all entrepreneurs. Thinking about you and Norgean, or maybe rather impact investing, do you think that that's going to be like the new normal in the future? I mean, uh, investing in companies with an impact-oriented business model, so to say. We really, really hope uh, that one day we will be able to state that impact investing is is the new normal. And that's really one of the underlying goals of of what we do is to really prove that you can combine impact as well as uh, market rate returns. Because if we prove that, that means that a lot more capital will will be flowing into the impact space. But if we look at the statistics today, then less than 1% of the global capital allocation is going into impact as a business. 
And to put it into another perspective is that um, the, the whole world has united uh, behind the UN Sustainability Development Goals, which is fantastic. For the first time, we have such a clear cut um, approach to, to achieving certain goals. But if you look at what's needed, then 16 times more capital is needed to really address and meet the targets that we have set for ourselves. So a lot, a lot more capital still needs to go into impact. And, and we really hope to succeed. And if we succeed, we hope that that will inspire others to follow our suit and to really invest in impact uh, as a business. And what do you think it would take to kind of get us there? What, what are the roadblocks, so to say? I mean, one of the roadblocks, the way we generally operate is that we need uh, role models. We need successful role models to really uh, inspire us. And then in that way, we we, di- we do need role models. First, we need successful uh, impact companies that become not only financial unicorns being valued at $1 billion, but that also truly become impact unicorns affecting uh, 1 billion people. So we need to see success stories in the startup space, but we also need to see success stories among the investors like ourselves. So we truly hope that us, as well as the other impact funds, we're all part of being the first generation of impact funds. So uh, the future of this industry uh, depends a lot on on, on, on what results we will deliver. And and we definitely feel the pressure of, of that responsibility. I asked earlier a little bit about kind of Uh, trend spotting and and so forth what i'm actually thinking about a lot is you know do you do we see an increasing demand for these types of companies that you invest in in the future or do you think that that is that a trend or is that maybe just us in working close to this community here that that see it like, like that or do you, when we look globally do you, how do you see it yeah i definitely think that we can see increased demand for these kind of uh, companies i mean if you look at uh, this from the consumer perspective uh, there are several studies made uh, that shows that people are uh, willing to even pay a premium to sort of buy a more sustainable product So that's one mm. thing. And the, the second factor, I think, is that uh, you see a really strong demand for actually working in this kind of uh, businesses where there is also a purpose to, to the business. And there, also there, there are several studies showing that people are willing to take a pay cut to, to enter these kind of jobs. And this is definitely something that we see, but uh, only from Norskin's perspective, that there, it's such a big uh, demand from from uh, top students graduating from from um, SSE and KTH and, and and those universities that really want to become uh, impact uh, startup founders. And that's really a new trend that we did not see. So when when I graduated, everyone wanted to become a banker or management consultant, and that's such a great uh, thing to see that that uh, trend evolve. And then I think from the third third perspective is that we do see increasing demand also from the investor perspective. I mean, now we are really focused on this impact angle to investments, but we also do see from our uh, colleagues in more like uh, solely financially driven VCs and and other investors that they're really, really looking at this and, and are increasingly interested in in sort of looking at impact businesses and do see that as a strong sort of um, bonus for for their investments. So I think there's demand Mm. from a lot of different angles here uh, that makes this 
uh, a global and hopefully long-term trend. We definitely feel that now the startup ecosystem is starting to recognize more and more that impact is a source of competitive advantage, like uh, Tuve explained for the various reasons. Uh, at the same time, if you look at the public markets, that's old news, <laughs> because if you really look at indexes and, and you look, the, look at the performance of uh, indexes created by ESG companies or companies with high sustainability standards, the stocks are very visibly outperforming the market averages. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the public markets, it's sort of old news that sustainable companies perform better in the long term. But the startup world is only catching up to that now. And, and I think we're part of bringing that uh, into light. Mm -hmm. There has been, uh, there are different definitions and the definitions have changed. Uh, for a long period of time, we were talking about social entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and a social entrepreneur uh, was understood as someone who really runs their business for the better of the world and society without necessarily making profits or market returns. Now we're starting to talk about impact entrepreneurs, uh, whereby we really think, uh, going back to that, you can combine the two. And just uh, interesting case study is that sometimes, uh, of course, we uh, the way we source our investment opportunities is that we get a lot of inbounds, so we get approached by many companies. But sometimes we also do scouting that we approach companies. And it has definitely happened several times where we reach out to a company and we say, we really want to meet you. We think that what you do is fantastic. And they would turn around and say, but I'm not a social entrepreneur. I don't think you can invest in us. And we said, no, no, you're, you're an impact entrepreneur and that's exactly who we're looking for. So there has been still sometimes some misunderstanding of, of what exactly being an impact entrepreneur means. Looking at the diversity of your portfolio and uh, thinking of, of the UN goals, I mean, there are 17 of them. Uh, do you see any... Uh, any are you are you leaning towards any of them in your portfolio or how 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 do you see your yeah uh, so investments so i think i mean looking at the, we've now to date made uh, 21 investments um and uh, i would say that the majority of the investments is focused on sort of the environmental aspects uh, so we do see a lot of investments in the responsible consumption and production i would like place the the food waste solutions that we invested in uh, into that one uh, we will we also see a lot of uh, action on the on the climate action um goal um, where climate view is one uh, one uh, uh, example, helping governments to really uh, sort of act on the on the climate changes around us. Um, affordable and clean energy is an area where we've um, made um, one investment, but we have several uh, uh, several interesting opportunities ahead of us. Uh, so we definitely play sort of the environmental uh, oriented goals uh, as sort of the the most uh, or the, the majority of our investments, but we have seen and have made uh, uh, investment across many of the of the of the goals. Is that a conscious choice or is it? We really think that the true scarce resource are fantastic uh, entrepreneurs. Mm. So we're very much attracted or drawn towards the best entrepreneurs out there, and then. And we really want to make sure that they are addressing one of the impact categories, but we are vertical agnostic because the true scarce resource are these really capable entrepreneurs mm. out there. Mm. So we think that if we limited our scope too much or if we narrowed in 
too nichely, um, it will limit the investable universe. Yeah. And do you see any, I mean, does your kind of investment strategy, is that always the same or does that differ based on kind of on what type of uh, area you're looking at here? No, I would say that we apply the same investment criteria uh, across all the impact uh, categories. It, it, it really, across all of these categories, it could be really early stage businesses, it could be businesses that have come a little bit further, mm. uh, but generally the investment criteria remain the same. Could you uh, describe to us how you collaborate with the companies that you invest in during this uh, time period where you, where you have your investment? I mean, it, it is, uh, uh, of course, a little bit uh, driven uh, by the specific needs of each company, but I think we can mention a few things that are sort of generic across our portfolio. And the, mm. the first thing that we do with uh, every company that we invest in is to, to uh, have an, an impact workshop where we, uh, together with the founder, sit down for, for half a day and define the, the impact that the specific company is trying to achieve. And then uh, also identify the, the KPIs related to that impact so that we can actually track uh, their progress versus that longer term impact on the, in sort of a more um, short term period. Uh, and that's usually a really exciting exercise uh, and it really helps the company, of course, uh, the, making sure that they generate that impact that they've set out to do. But it also serves as really excellent sort of um, sales arguments and also, as we talked about earlier, like uh, it really shows to, to potential recruitments that what, what you're actually getting in, in on, basically. So that's usually a really helpful uh, way to start off the relationship. I would say the second thing that we support all our uh, companies with is uh, sort of uh, getting attention and building their brand. Uh, and Norskin has, has spent quite a lot of, of uh, effort on, on building uh, our brand and really pointing attention into this new kind of entrepreneurship. And th that's really a platform that we uh, intend to use for, for all our investments. And the, the entrepreneurs, is, they are our superheroes and they are the ones that deserve to be on stage and we take every opportunity to put them on that stage. So like driving attention uh, and uh, media towards the company is the second part. And then I would say the third part is uh, to really uh, help uh, recruit uh, talent into the business. Uh, we use, uh, for Norskin, we have a career site where we place also the uh, sort of op job opportunities for, for the portfolio companies. And we also uh, actively help recruiting for both board positions and, and C-level positions. So that's, I would say, the, the third part of sort of what we do in general for, for all our portfolio companies. This week's listener question comes from a listener who has a company that might not be fully an impact entrepreneur uh, to your criteria, but uh, they still are very much aware of the need to transform into a sustainable future. What tips and what kind of advice would you want to give that company to be able to stay relevant for future demand in the market?
I truly believe that we live in a world where it's now almost an obligation by every single company to run their company in compliance with ESG and sustainability standards. Even if you are not an impact company, these topics should be on top of every business agenda to think about inclusive recruitment, diversity, uh, thinking about how can they minimize their environmental footprint, etc., etc. And it's still an area that's new to a lot of businesses. And that's actually one way how we also work with our portfolio companies to really work through and show them what it means in practice. Sometimes it, it sounds very beautiful when you share the headline, but then the next question is like, but what it actually means in practice, what kind of processes, policies do these companies need to have in place? And I think every company is capable of having these processes in place and it costs nothing. Uh, it's really just about the commitment of the founders and the commitment of the staff to, to follow these um, processes. Uh, when it comes to being an impact company, and again, we don't want to ever say that we don't need any other companies. We need different kind of businesses. I mean, we as an investor really are focused on these companies that have this extra added value in terms of bringing uh, value uh, that's positive for the planet or people. That you can't kind of iterate into. We fundamentally believe that you have to be an impact company at the core to be an impact company. Uh, we're kind of very careful uh, when, when, when some companies kind of try to impact wash a little bit. Mm. Um, but at the same time, every single company out there can be ESG compliant and can be a sustainable company. Mm. And what when, when we talk about becoming ESG compliant, so to say, would you have any kind of uh, hands-on kind of uh, recommendations to look at? I mean, what would uh, immediate uh, things be to, to address? Generally, whenever we bring out terms like ESG, sustainability, uh, we instantly start to think about, okay, where's the checklist? Where's the toolbox? And sometimes you just, after doing a quick Google search, you find very long documents, very long checklists, and it's very easy to get lost in that, especially as a founder of a startup that has limited resources. But if you cut it down, what it comes down to in a nutshell, what ESG compliance or sustainability is all about, look after people and look after planet. When it comes to people, it's really uh, the easiest way to explain it, that it runs through how you run recruitments and how you run your internal policies to make sure that you are committed to diversity standards, that you are really committed to the best practices of, of running your team. And then, of course, on the other side, on the planet side, it's also just to ensuring, are you running your business in a sustainable way? Is there something that you could cut out that's not necessary, that uh, actually has negative impact on the planet? How could you tweak your services operations to, to, to make incremental improvements? So I would say don't get lost in very long policies and checklists and, and really zoom out and think about it from the big picture. What impact does your business have on people and, and, and planet? And, and you can really build your uh, internal processes to to make, make it better on both of these fronts. Mm. Those are some great uh, words of inspiration to, uh, to many of, of, of our listeners. So uh, thanks a lot for sharing.
how would you describe the current situation that entrepreneurs and startups are facing uh, in relation to Corona, COVID-19? It's completely a unique situation. We have never seen uh, such a sharp drop in economic activity ever. And this crisis is very different to all the previous crises. And, and the key difference is that, uh, that let's say, if we compare to the last financial crisis was that it sort of evolved over time, bit by bit by bit by bit. So as an entrepreneur, you had more time perhaps to adjust, or maybe sometimes as an entrepreneur, it took you quite a long time to understand that, oh, it is crisis. This time around, it's clear as day we are in crises and everyone needs to act so there is a positive and negative to it the, the, the positive is that it's very clear that you need to act and you need to act now i mean of course the negative of it is that it has been a drop of a hammer uh, that that the world has changed overnight which is a complete unique situation to all of us around the world, big companies as, as well as uh, small companies. Mm. And uh, in your work as VCs, I mean, how will this influence you, do you think? I think, I mean, if we look at the VC scene, um, uh, we will definitely see consequences. Um, I mean, a, a good thing about uh, being a VC fund is that you have kind of, if, you, if you've closed your fund, you have the capital secure, so uh, the money is still there. If you are in a VC that is fundraising, it's of course more difficult. Um, and um, just earlier this uh, spring, in, in January, February, we we're talking. There was a lot of talk about all the new VC funds coming onto the market, uh, and how the, the VC funding in general will drastically increase. I think that that this situation has definitely made it harder for. Uh, VC funds to raise new money, um, uh, but the money that's already in the funds, uh, those are sort of still there. So that's that's good to to know. Um, mm. If we look at sort of how what we are expecting to to see in terms of behavior for from VCs, I mean I think everyone, including VCs, are concerned about the current situation. So there will definitely be, be consequences. I think that what we'll uh, see is that companies that uh, have a really high uh, capex or high burn rate and where there's very little flexibility in terms of taking the cost base down uh, and also that are exposed to the industries that we're seeing now taking a huge hit by this the situation, I mean, those will definitely uh, be harder to fund and be, it will be harder to find VC money for those. I think we'll see uh, some VCs sort of delaying investment decisions to to the extent possible. Um, mm. But at the same time, I think for the really good cases, we'll definitely see uh, uh, continued interest and even stronger competition. Uh, so so it's like a little bit what we call like a flight to quality. So it's really uh, sort of a, uh, it's going to be high competition for the the really good cases. And we've heard. Some uh, colleagues out there saying that you know this, they expect to make some of their best investments in the next few months. Uh, so it's definitely sort of uh, not putting uh, the VC industry to a halt, uh, but it is no. significantly changing the, the circumstances.
And thinking about those uh, that those changes, I mean, how do you prepare for that? Do you do you are you are you kind of now lining up to be ready for what's gonna come next? Or I mean, what we're doing is, of course, I mean, I think every VC is now uh, looking after their portfolio to see how the portfolio companies are affected and what we can expect uh, for the near term in terms of funding needs and so on from the existing portfolio. Um, but at the same time, I mean, what we're doing is, of course, to see sort of what companies, as we talked about earlier, can actually support uh, in the current situation and can help uh, can help the healthcare system and the the ed tech sector, exam- uh, for example. So we are definitely reaching out to companies that are in those sectors uh, to help them out. Are there any actions that you would kind of recommend startups to take in the situation that we're seeing right now? First, um, as we said, that the capital markets most likely will dry up. So you have to be extremely, extremely careful about your cash flow and about your burn rate. Try to cut any unnecessary costs and prolong your runway uh, for as much as possible to give yourself flexibility and let markets recover so that the next time you go and raise financing, you can do it from the position of strength, uh, showing that the growth has uh, already recovered. Um, The the other key thing I would mention on the very top of the uh, agenda for founders should be actually thinking and protecting their employees. And by protecting, I mean it's it's probably most startups will need to take some kind of layoffs, but it's these kind of crisis situations that really speak to you who you are as a leader. So now more than ever, every startup founder has to be a leader, really has to guide their staff, their employees, communicate, be completely transparent. So really, uh, they know every single founder should not underestimate how important it is to be very close to your employees uh, at this point in time. I think in adding to that complexity, the last point that you said, Agathe, about sort of this being an extremely challenging time as a leader, and at the same time, you will most likely be working remotely, the whole team. Uh, And that really puts a new dimension, I think, in terms of leadership. And you will need to sort of review uh, your internal processes and check-ins because you you won't really have those uh, informal check-ins coming natural. So I think you will need mm. to really think about how to build that into your workday as everyone is working remotely. Uh, and yeah, it will put this whole working digitally uh, to the test. Um, so it would be interesting to see what we can learn from that also in the time mm. after Corona and see how we, can, how we can build on that. And how do you do that as a leader? I mean, that's a really, that's a big challenge, like you say. Definitely. I think you need to to stay close to your employees, uh, maybe now more than ever. Uh, And I would also say to to sort of include your team in in getting to these solutions. I mean, no, Mm. none of us have been in this situation before. And I would I would suggest to just invite uh, invite the team to collaborate and, and find solutions together. But in our team, we've scheduled like this in, informal coffee uh, in the morning without agenda, just to check in how is everyone doing. And like, I think that's really important to have those touch points, uh, which doesn't come as natural. But also in terms of, I mean, step one is to normalize the situation in terms of get your uh, revised business plan so that you have the runway for as long as possible as well. Work, uh, put your staff as, as the number 
number one priority on your list. But And once you have done that, don't also forget to be opportunistic uh, because one thing that also happens coming out for uh, out of any crisis is that any kind of crisis situation is also Darwinism for startups where the strongest ones survive and the ones that do manage to survive through the crisis, they're in extremely strong position coming out of the mm. crisis. Mm. So you should also kind of keep in back of your mind what are the opportunities, how can you shine versus the competition right now and how are you going to size the opportunity once we're back uh, on the growth path and i got did you have any specific tips on if you want to prolong your runway i mean like you said now i think what what specific what specifically would you do um i mean it's extremely extremely difficult exercise uh, for the founders to go through i think this is one of the most painful things about uh, being a founder is but you really have to identify all the non-critical costs. What we see a lot of founders do is instantly cut their marketing budget if they don't, if they're not working on solutions that are relevant in the climate exactly right now. So the easiest thing to do is um, cut your marketing budget or cut any of your variable expenses. But then inevitably for a lot of startups, it also comes down to downsizing their staff to really analyze what's the core of our operations and what's the minimum size of the team that we need to carry on, uh, to to at least carry on the the business activities. And and inevitably it does often come down to also letting some people go. Mm. And that's extremely, extremely difficult. And again, and that really speaks to you as a founder, as a leader, how you navigate that kind of situation. Extremely important to be very transparent with all your employees, show your employees that this is a very difficult decision, but also be very firm and and very transparent about the steps that you're taking. Mm. And then talking about staff as a major cost driver, maybe that's also pretty generic when you are early on in in a, in, in a startup phase or so on. That, that that's one of the largest uh, uh, costs that you have. What do you see us coming out of this as? I mean, how how has things changed? Do you think when we're on the other side? It's very difficult to predict. Um, we know that it's the sharpest drop in economic activity overnight that we have ever seen. At the same time, there has been a very strong response by governments all around the world. I mean, just yesterday, U.S. announced the biggest um, biggest capital injection in the history of, of, of United States. And, and given the given that we haven't seen uh, rescue packages of of that size, it will be interesting to see what it does to the economy and how Mm. quickly it will let the economy recover. Yeah. Yeah, And I also think, uh, coming back to what Agatha said before, like uh, the businesses that do uh, go through this uh, will come out stronger, many of them. Um, So that's that's one thing. I think in terms of looking at the VC sector, uh, just uh, at the end of last year, I think everyone concluded that the VC uh, sector scene, especially in Stockholm, was quite overheated. We saw quite crazy valuations. 
uh, that were not always reasonable versus the stage where the companies were at. And I think we'll we'll see maybe more more reasonable valuations uh, after that after this uh, period of time as well. And for some startups, it helps them understand their product better and what the clients really value, because in a good, healthy economic climate, you can sell nice to have products, but in a crisis environment, people will only pay must-have <laughs> products. And, 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 and so I think this kind of uh, climate is a very good test for the products and services that the startups offer. And, and I think many of them might be better off coming out of this because they will be identifying at the core, okay, what are the features or, or what are the parts that the clients wanted even in, in, in this uh, climate. So I do think that there are some sectors that are now sort of going through quite significant changes, but where we would expect those uh, changes to actually stick after uh, the, the current more like uh, drastic situation. And I would mm. think like uh, the educational sector, for example, uh, where a lot of yeah. schools are now implementing digital tools uh, and where we know uh, that sort of once a school has started using a product like that, they're very likely to continue. So I do think that sort of digitalization of the whole uh, educational sector has actually sort of fast-tracked throughout this process. And I, I would expect mm. that to, to stay also after this current situation. And I think there are other sectors as well, such as, of course, healthcare, where we would expect the, the sort of digitalization of healthcare to speed up during this process and, and hopefully and to a large extent also stay that way uh, afterwards. Um, so... I do think there are some sectors that we are seeing changes now that will actually stay and be long term. I think it's time for me to say thank you so much for joining us in Get Savvy today. We really appreciate the work that you're doing to support entrepreneurs and that you wanted to share your experiences with us today. So thanks a lot, both Agatha and Tove, for joining us um, and hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.